Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your motorsports insider for the Indianapolis Star, here back to start up a new season of IndyCar Weekly. Joining me today, uh, a new co-host of mine. I'm really happy to uh, introduce you guys to. Doesn't need any sort of introduction really at all. I'm sure you guys are very familiar with Jack Harvey, the driver of the uh, Meyer Shank Racing full-time entry. Um, Jack, thank you so much for joining me today and just this whole season as we uh, get underway here. Yeah, well, it uh, should be a lot of fun. I think it's nice to have that extra insight that people don't get uh, unless you're at the track in the hustle and bustle. I think last year people really missed that. So uh, thanks for inviting me to be on it and we should have a good time if nothing else. Absolutely. What um, Before we get into too much, what was last year like for you if you can sum it up for you know uh, quickly i know not only did we deal with everything on and off track that covid meant but uh you were embarking on your first full season in indycar (laughs) you were supposed to race 17 races you'd done as many as 10 the year before uh i know you had had to have had a lot of expectations going into this year how did how did you guys kind of battle through what those expectations were going to be and and uh just kind of um, you know, take on what you guys were, we were facing head on along with the rest of the paddock? I think in terms of expectation from our first, you know, six race effort in 18 to expanding to 10 races in 19, I mean, really, we had, we had shown that we could improve performances with a little bit more regular racing. Uh, so I guess that's what we wanted to try and do. I think the target was to try and, you know, finish in the top 10 as often as possible um you know we didn't set any you know if we don't achieve that seven times and it's a failed season or anything like that because you know for me for the team there was still a lot of new experiences i would say if i was to summarize last year in what was a this isn't a revolutionary word that's been used to describe covid a very unprecedented time i guess looking back now it showed the strength of what i i felt was Maya Shank Racing in terms of how they handled the scenario, how everybody in the NTT IndyCar series handled the scenario. And I guess I just am grateful of the people that I'm surrounded by as a race team and as a series because no one knows how to deal with that. You know, people are still trying to figure it out. Um, but I thought everybody did really well in actually still having races to go to. You know, at the end of the year, we slowly had fans again. And I think that was probably the weird, there was two really weird moments for me. And it was when we went to Indy, both were Indy. Qualifying weekend was like the first time it really hit home to me, you know, what having fans looks like. Uh, and it was bleak, you know, it, especially at the Speedway because it's so big. You know, in the end, it was basically just, you know, <laughs> 33, you know, drivers just flying around a racetrack, which is incredibly cool. There's no doubt about it. You know, but that energy that people bring to the track and the excitement of those weekends is what makes it so special. And then the Indy 500 itself, you know, and it was just, it was, you know, 
circulating for like three hours with you know the other 32 of your closest friends and competitors um naturally everyone still wanted to win the race but uh it was just a, it was a super unusual year one that i would be very happy never to have to you know replicate at least to that severity but i was proud of the my shank effort um and indycar's effort in general to just provide some racing for everybody mm -hmm. quickly on that 500 um you was certainly wasn't your first 500 but i know w when i've talked to several drivers in the past they say that with the you know the 250 to 300,000 fans that once the race actually gets going you maybe don't you certainly don't hear them um hmm. but you can kind of at least notice them when you're flying down the straights sure. and you can kind of see like the blur of colors on both sides that uh that border you once that race got going did you f have any sort of sense that that place was essentially barren and empty or did it Im impact you at all no i mean if i said i didn't notice people in the crowd i would be lying i mean it it didn't have the same oh it's race day energy that being said i i thought it was really cool that they opened the blackout so that people could watch it and then the amount of people that texted, uh, texted me before the race i'm like hey good luck we're gonna be watching and all that was probably higher than normal so then okay maybe the atmosphere wasn't there at the track but um I think a lot of people still tuned in. They wanted to see it. They still want to be a part of it. You know, we had a great race. So, you know, honestly, the uh, the adrenaline was was going because every pit stop was great. We were moving forward, you know, pretty much every restart, every stint. So, um, I mean, we were totally invested in the race and it was, it was, really, it was really fun, I thought. Uh, you know, my boys in pit lane did a fantastic job. Uh, that day, you know, the Automation Series XM Honda car was flying. You know, it really was quick, but... Um, I can't wait to see people in the stand because, you know, the 500 just gone for sure was our best 500 effort so far. Uh, you know, but some of the ones before that, towards the end of the race, we haven't really been racing for anything other than just getting to the end and seeing the checkered flag, you know, roll the car in the truck and could hopefully come back the next year and have another crack. And actually in those years, when you've had like a bit more time just to look up in the short shoe or something like that, it's funny when you see the crowds go from being like so full that, you know, by, by the end of the race, maybe it's three quarters full. And um, I would say in my experience so far, the, the amount that I noticed that is very dependent on how my race is going and if my race is going really well I'm very focused into the uh, into the race obviously and you know at that point if there's nothing super left to play for that's usually when I pick my eyes up and you know honestly just try and embrace everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. You guys um, finished in the the top 10 there it was a, a super strong performance um, for you guys I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong you guys had was it was it six top 10s last year in the 14 races? that sound right sounds about right i guess okay. yeah. um six top tens uh i know i'd mentioned in, in stories past and and you've um pointed it out on on twitter at times you guys had the i think the fifth best starting position um of any car on the racetrack last year and it was you know still finished around mid-pack but it was a we could really see from a, a media perspective or a fan's perspective what you're talking about. You guys were really starting to piece stuff together, um, probably a lot better than some teams embarking on a full season for the first time have done previously. What did you feel like in those great races that you had, including the 500, what were some of the keys that you felt like um, that went into making those, those results possible? 
I think the the 500 itself, you know, before we went out for the race, uh, we were very just focused on going forward, you know, and people were like, oh, you've got some really great drivers starting behind me. And I was like, oh, I for sure do. I've got some great ones starting ahead of me as well. You know, and the focus was very much just going forward. And I felt like there was a bit of a, a shift in, you know, our prep, our strategy meetings right around the 500 because before then, like at Road America, or actually at Indy Road Course and at Road America, I mean, we started on the front row for both both of those races. We just got pipped by those uh, pesky Penskys, uh, you know, Will Power and Joseph Newgarden, who uh, you may or may not have heard of. Um, you know, so I felt like our, our raw pace was very good. I think the thing that sucked at, for example, Road America, we started second for race one, ninth for race two. And I think we had a 17th place finish to show for it because we had brake failure in the first race, which is extremely rare in IndyCar racing now, um, and then got taken out at the start of race two. And it was, it was, it was pretty frustrating start to the year because we were doing so many good things without, not even necessarily like good or bad look, just random things kept happening. We're like, when are we going to catch that break that we needed? And I, and I feel like when I look back at the races that went well, going to Indy there's no doubt that our strategy was very good we caught some good breaks and our pit stops were incredible that day but I think you look at back at like other races and it was more about just executing without some spanner being thrown in the works that not necessarily that we had to be reactive to I mean I thought there was times where we acted really well it just if you were on that strategy it just kind of ruined your day um, I would say as well looking back in a bit of a deeper way, COVID did change the dynamic of the season last year, but we still did more races than we ever had done. And we did more testing than we'd ever had done. So people have to remember for us as a team, that the, the cup was still half full and it was still progression. So we were all really excited about that. Now, if you were, if it was not your first full-time drive i can understand why you know teams are bummed and you know maybe you'll end up on a slightly more negative side of that coin but for us it was it was expansion you know we were just really excited to be on track when there was an indy car going on track because that hadn't been our normal experience and that was what was so cool at finally getting to do that so yes not as many races but as a as a team effort it was the most we had done by far and i think that positive spin was what carried that enthusiasm and that momentum all year you mentioned the great job of indycar being super flexible and just kind of going with the flow um as different you know states or the the federal government put out new guidelines or restrictions on uh you know how sporting events could look whether there could be fans or not um the schedule adapting to try and take advantage of as many fan opportunities as possible i know we would you know find out sometimes <laughs> i think it was maybe the the one weekend i really remember is uh mid ohio that yeah. was supposed to be in maybe early august uh got canceled like a week ahead of time how were you guys essentially as drivers and as teams finding out pretty much when it all got announced to the media did you guys have a little bit more lead time or how much did you guys at times feel like you were flying by the seat of your pants uh, I, I mean, ultimately, yes to the yes to the above. Mm -hmm. um, there was times where you know we would hear that certain things weren't looking good, or you know it, it could be a, a towing cost uh, or something like that. And I would say it's rare that we get totally blindsided just with like a, a PR or press announcement that goes, "Oh, by the way, this is what's happening." We're like, "Oh, I guess we're going to get on the phone and try and figure it out." Um, 
that's what I would say. We always knew maybe just a little bit ahead of time. But honestly, like, not much. Maybe just when, like, the embargo um, email went out and said, this is what we're doing. And we're like, okay, I guess we've got, you know, an hour to figure it out before it hits mainstream news. And, I mean, you know, we talk about IndyCar being so flexible. but we also have to say a decent thank you to all the tracks, all the promoters at the tracks because, and, you know, not being from America... I'm not from a place where it's different across the country, really. You know, the UK is so small. What normally happens at the top of the UK happens at the bottom, you know, within reason, where you come here and, you know, neighbouring states have different protocols. And then suddenly that looks, that changes the dynamic, which is, it might be an extremely obvious thing to say, is an obvious thing to say. And if you're used to it, that's normal. But when you're really not used to that, when when you get used to, you know, living in Indiana and then you go over to Ohio because that's where Maya Shank Racing is based, and it's a different protocol there. You're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I really had to think about, you know, what was going to happen, how we were going to do things, you know, etc. And, you know, not even going to the West Coast last year at all, uh, you know, sucked. And um, I would say not that's not that's not just a racing thing. That's a general kind of point that when you're not from here, even that in an unprecedented time, that was an extra level of um, confusion and uncertainty just traveling between states you know and i think that also shows the depth of you know character with with everybody involved and again not just racing but to still make you know things happen and for life in an in a different way but to to carry on you know work still has to carry on um and i think when i look just globally i think everybody has done a pretty good job at right wrong or indifferent i think people have done a good job at adapting mm-hmm. um maybe the best best team that found a way to adapt last year um scott dixon winning his sixth uh indycar championship uh you were being you know being a part of all of those races seeing what he's he was able to do at the start of the year winning three straight races and, yeah. and being able to hold off uh joseph newgarden and team penske there at the end where it felt like you know maybe if they had one more race they might have been able to overtake him what sure. was your perspective on um, that title fight that went really truly down to the wire there at St. Pete. I thought that was an epic battle. Um, you know, I, and I guess I followed Joseph's story, uh, you know, a little bit more because honestly, I felt like sometimes we were on the same strategy as him and got burned on the same strategy. And I'm thinking of that, um, you know, Indy Road Course, uh, Iowa, uh, one of the gateway races, you know, where we were right around where he was on track or at least on the same strategy and got burned by the same yellow and um i think scott just did what he's really fantastic at or you know at least everybody at chip ganassi on his team is really good at and you know when they have some bad luck you know they limit it to the least amount damaging possible and you know give him a little bit of good luck and he's going to win the race and you know i mean what a what a start to the year that he had and, you know, you give somebody like that who I haven't seen it really for myself, but people say traditionally a slow starter in a championship and you've given us the slow starter in a championship who's also, you know, a six time winner now. You give him three wins at the start of the year. I mean, wow, I thought it was a, I thought it was an extremely valiant effort from Joseph and everybody at Team Penske to take it down to the wire, because I think we all felt like halfway through the season, I guess it was kind of done and dusted you know really uh, but the fact it went so close and you know when you 
when you just when you're in that season watching those two guys really go at it, uh, I thought it was really cool, you know. And then even the drama of St. Pete, uh, you know, we weren't on the right side of it again that day. But you know, at least when you when you remove yourself and just watch the race back, as honestly, like we all are, just a fan. I thought that was a really cool, uh, really cool battle between you know two incredibly fantastic race drivers. There's a lot of really great battles that went on last year toward the end of the year, not just for that championship spot. You had the battle between Colton and Pato for third place. You kind of just go sure. down the the list there. I think you you finished 15 in the 15th in the points and I'm looking at it right now, uh or maybe like 25 points out of the top 10. I mean, it's it kind of goes into I think what a lot of people are really excited about as we have been for a lot of years about IndyCar but just you know looking at 2021 the depth of this field it was something mm. that got brought up so much in content days um, a couple weeks back was just how deep this field is in IndyCar yeah. and how great of an opportunity there are for drivers on pretty much any team to have a chance going into a race weekend and feeling like they can pull out a victory. And if you get a, I think last year, the last couple of years, there've maybe been seven drivers that have won a race in this series. You win a race, you're, you know, with a, a pretty solid rest of the year, you're almost guaranteed a top 10, maybe a top five finish when the championship's all said and done. What do you, as we kind of transition into looking at this off season and, and, um, and dipping our toes into next year, what, what is your perspective? You've had a full season un, under your belt on um, just how deep this field is top to bottom. I think it's something that every year that I've been here has been that way where you look at it and you go wow the, the field is incredibly tough this year and then actually like this year you look through the grid and I mean wow it is it is some stellar stellar drivers in that field with some some fantastic teams as well um, and I would say not only because it's IndyCar's the pinnacle of open wheel racing you know maybe just behind Formula One you know but I can't think of a, a place that has more depth in a field this year than IndyCar um, and I think that's what makes it so fun to be a part of this is like one of them years where people look at it and you remember you remember 21 and how many great drivers and teams there were and you're like yeah that was awesome because of you know all the reasons and for all the reasons you just mentioned as well is why I think is why for sure I love IndyCar it's why I think you see people like Romain Grosjean you know come and race in IndyCar because you get that sense that if you have a, a good car and it's your weekend you can go and compete you know, a lot of times, and I felt like even last year, we showed that we can go and compete with a lot of these guys, you know, we were really good in qualifying, you know, our little uh, mishap with James in, you know, St. Pete really took us out of the top 10, you know, in the championship, and you go, well, we nearly were 10th, we finished 15th, I mean, that's pretty, it's a pretty severe drop, and I think consistency in the 2021 season is going to be extremely important, I think, for, for whoever you know, finishes at the front of the year, maybe more so than ever, um, just because of how many good drivers there are and trying to capitalise on good luck when it comes your way, limiting the bad luck when it comes your way to put a championship effort together is going to be probably the biggest thing. I would say consistency this coming season is going to be more important than ever um, because I think you've got your your elite drivers are still the same. It's your your depth just across the whole series is just so high right now that um, it's an awesome year, you know, to be part of IndyCar race. And I think we all were really exciting. And if we could have some good success this year, I think it would be extra satisfying because of how strong it is. 
you mentioned uh, Romain Grosjean joining this year as a rookie. He joins a rookie, uh, a really, I don't know if if unprecedented is the word, but I mean, it's just really unique. It's the theme right now. It's yeah, the theme. Yeah, exactly. Um, you've got a three-time defending Supercars champion in Scott McLaughlin. You've <laughs> got uh, a seven-time NASCAR Cup champion in Jimmy Johnson, who I believe is 45. And you've got Grosjean, who... Um, hadn't won an F1 race, but I think finished on the top 10, uh, maybe 10 times in his 180 uh, F1 races. It's just, you know, it's typically we're used to this mm. rookie class being, you know, a, a handful of maybe. inexperienced or, um, you know, you you typically have like a couple Road to Indy drivers sprinkled sure. in there and you maybe have someone yeah. from, like maybe one driver from a different series like Alex Palou was last year coming yeah. over from Super yeah. Formula in Japan. But, all three of these guys have these either championship winning pedigrees or just high level uh, racing experience, and not just one or two years, but you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years. Sure. What what is you know? I'm sure when you go on track against them next year, you're going to want to beat them um, whenever possible. But if you take a step back from a fan's perspective, what do you feel like their presence in this series this year? Um, just does for the the popularity and the excitement that we're heading into. I mean, just it it magnifies everything even more so. Um, I think Romain was probably been one of the best drivers. If you look at the you know the feed, the European feeder series to Formula One, I mean, he has to be one of the most successful drivers ever. You know, before getting to Formula One, and you know, had a great career. I mean, I was a Jimmy Johnson fan before I came to America, um, and. I mean, three-time champion with Scott is, it's just, it's not the sort of thing you, it's, IndyCar's become like that moment where if you just opened up like a fantasy of like just racing drivers and then said, okay, put them all in one series, it's like people have just cherry-picked a bunch of people and plumped them in one series. And I think that's just so mega, you know, like it's so rare that you get to see that happen or even, you know, from my side, be a part of that and share the grid with these, you know, really great drivers. I mean, people here are going to go down as some of the best ever in their fields. Um, so to be able to go and, you know, compete with them, obviously try and beat them. You know, we want to try and beat everybody uh, if we can. And that's obviously going to be, you know, one of the goals for the coming season is to try and get a W on the board for, you know, everybody at my shank racing. Um, but I think it shows, I think it shows the direction that IndyCar has, is going, uh, how exciting that is. And honestly, the, if it if you get these kind of drivers who want to come and be a part of it, it is exciting to see who may keep wanting to be a part of it, and it's just that really exciting time where it's already awesome. Could it be more awesome? I mean, I guess we'll we'll find out because you know I looked at the driver grid last year and thought, wow, that's a that's a strong grid, and it's got stronger, you know, and it would be interesting and exciting both to see what happens in. 22 but i think it just it really just shows like how exciting indycar racing is you know all the people who already know it's exciting it's just i guess you know validation to them that actually this is awesome uh, and we know it um yeah it's just it's just it's so cool you know you're getting a, a diverse group of drivers from multiple different series bringing them all together to race on i actually think indycar has the most diverse track selection as well from you know ovals road courses street circuits and just kind of putting everybody together and letting them go at it is is just mega i haven't heard anyone phrase it this way but i'm always curious when you have drivers that come from other series um 
there's this notion that I think some folks wonder if um, maybe on a, a different level if folks look at IndyCar and think, oh, you know, I've had all this driving success in my career elsewhere. I can go in IndyCar and compete right away. And I don't think we've huh. gotten that um, feeling from Scott or Jimmy or Grosjean. They've been really, I think, pretty humble um, in sure. what they are expecting out of themselves, which I think is really cool. What have you seen? Uh, I, know, I mean, Scott raced in, uh, in St. Pete last year. I don't know if you've been on track with uh, Grosjean or Jimmy too much during testing this off season, but what have you seen out of just them as people and their performances um, thus far? I I would say I've got to chat to Scott a little bit just you know through through St. Pete when he went to Texas and then um, I think that was the last time we were oh, not in uh, the Cota Testo sorry at the start of the year last year. Um, Chat to him a little bit in St. Pete and just, you know, a little bit of banter back and forth on social media. I uh, haven't really had a chance to spend a lot of time with Jimmy yet, uh, but I did see Romaine in uh, Laguna when we all tested there at the start of March. And uh, I think humbling is probably a nice way to describe it. And I don't think any of these guys are not coming in with any arrogance of, you know, they're going to just walk into IndyCar and, you know, dominate the series. You know, I think they all give IndyCar the respect it deserves as being a, you know, premier category you know across like the motorsports in the community worldwide i think people forget if you look at formula one that you know formula one does have power steering indycar doesn't indycar tracks are extremely bumpy you know our curbs are you know sometimes really aggressive if you hit them i mean you you notice it it's not just like a little you know rumble strip that the car's unaffected by and i think a lot of series now have gone toward that style of racing where you know performance is as high as it is, as it has ever been but the physical demands aren't the same you know and i think the cockpit sorry the the mono uh, the air screen and the halo added an extra physicality to the car because it's just hotter so i think seeing these guys come in and appreciate and understand the challenge that indycar racing is is really cool and it is uh, it is pretty humbling it's probably the most unique rookie class i've ever heard of um you know because none of them really well none of them are rookies you know they all know how to drive and win in a race car and i'm sure they'll all figure it out when they get into to indycar and um from a competitor stance of course you, again you want to beat them it doesn't matter if, if they're a rookie you know if a seven-time nascar champion or whatever you still want to go out and race them as hard as possible and um you know you still want to to beat them but i think as 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 three rookie drivers go the added benefit and the added nice thing about those three is they seem like really nice people and it's it's nice to be in a series that you can race really hard with people you can rub wheels fairly i guess but also know that come the next weekend it's going to be the same way I don't think there's any, you know, dirty drivers or anything like that in IndyCar. I think there's some aggressive drivers who race you hard. But I think racing fair is what allows people to want to come and be a part of these series. And I think IndyCar is probably a really good time of its own history for, for that kind of racing. I think that's why you're seeing people want to come and do it. And, you know, Jimmy, talking about him for a second, I think what's so cool about him trying to take on this challenge is it's just from what I've observed, it's it's like the opposite of the racing he's always done. He's an oval racer and he's not even doing ovals in IndyCar. <laughs> you know, he's doing road courses. And I think that, you know, I hope 
at 45 that I have that same passion and enthusiasm for new challenges, you know, uh, keep racing and all them things. Because you would say of being a seven-time champion and he's got a family and all them things that you wouldn't have begrudged him at all if he just said, guys, you know, I've had a great time racing. I've loved every moment of it. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best that's ever done it. I'm good now, you know, like thumbs up, bye. He's still putting himself in that position to want to improve and whether he's doing IndyCar or racing, you know, in IMSA or whatever. I mean, I hope I have that want and desire to still keep going, having achieved what he has. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's really, really cool. That's but, uh, not at his stage of life, I'm not trying to make him, you know, not trying to say that, but just he's a guy who could have easily just been like, okay, I've, I've done everything I wanted to do. Bye. Is there any other racing series, um, you know, kind of in a in a perfect world after you, know, you visualize yourself 15 years down the road or so, you know, you, you've accomplished everything you want to accomplish in IndyCar. What is, you know, is there one particular race series that you would kind of envision hoping to maybe give uh, a try to someday when your IndyCar opportunities is over with? Uh... Yeah, I mean, I love sprint car racing. You know, I've always enjoyed that. My dad used to do a version of that in the UK. Um, I would love to participate in Dakar Rally one time. Um, Le Mans clearly would be cool. Formula One clearly would be cool. You know, but if I was if I was realistic and, you know, at 45, at that point, I'd probably just want to have fun. You know, like, in I don't even know what that is. You know, it could be uh, it could be going go-karting again, you know, or something like that. I don't think there's nothing that super like jumps out at me and is like, we have to do this. Um, you know, I looked at ages ago, you know, trying to take my dad to uh, Scandinavia to do some like ice driving and drifting and stuff like that. And I would honestly just want to keep I would want to keep improving and those things, but just do the things that I didn't have opportunity to do, which, you know, right now would probably be. I'd love to do something in Dakar Rally. Uh, I'd love to go some sprint car racing um, or maybe some ice driving. I think that would, those kind of sound fun to me. It'd be really, really cool. One thing I I know, I think we all understand in, uh, in a lot of ways why Jimmy and why Ramon aren't doing the full season, you know, have their own, they have their own sure. uh, families to look after and their own, uh, you know, personal reasons why they're staying off the of ovals, at least for now. But man, it would just have been so cool to have those three caliber drivers going up against each other for full 17 races and see how that competition yeah. for quote unquote rookie of the year yeah, would have panned it. out. Do you have any feeling? I mean, if we just, I guess, probably look at like say the road and street courses that they'll all be running the 13 of them mm. do you have any inside feeling at the start of who you think if we just say tallied up the points from those 13 races which guy might end up on top at the end of the year mm. i would have i think just because of his open wheel experience remain probably would have been my my pick for that but you know when you look at the testing time scott's been right there with all of his teammates at Team Penske and again I mean that's that is incredible depth you know of teammates to compare yourself to so um phew, you know and I'm not I'm not discounting Jimmy at all in in that but I would say it's going to be extremely tight between Romain and Scott and it, that could honestly either go go either way um I understand why they're not doing ovals my stance on that I think IndyCar racing is as, is as safe as it's ever been I think they're the screen 
and the uh, the, the halo have added a, another level of safety to that. So I, I personally am confident they can get in the car and you know accept the natural risk that is racing, uh, you know, and, and sleep easy. Uh, that, of course, I understand why neither of them are this year. But I would love to see them grow into competing full time for sure. So um, it's going to be a if, if you just factored out the ovals and ended like rookie of the year mm-hmm. over that, I, it's going to be extremely close. I think. I think so too. They were. Who's your? If you were going to. Um, who's your? Who's your? Uh, I don't know. I keep going. I, I keep going back on between Rojan and and McLaughlin. I, I mean, I think the the one reason that you know keeps me thinking about Scott is not only. I mean, he's. I guess he's got you know one race under his belt already. I don't know the, how much of a difference that really makes. Maybe kind of in some way helps even it out a little bit between him and Grosjean, given Grosjean's um, immense open wheel experience. I think maybe in some way Scott's teammates and the folks at Team Penske, um, I think, could play a big part in that because, as you mentioned, he maybe doesn't have quite the experience, but when all the you have these spec cars and tenths of a second means makes such a big difference um i think maybe maybe i give scott the edge along with the fact that he will have a little bit of an added benefit even though when he's racing on those oval tracks you know that's not the same type of discipline necessary but you just have that maybe that momentum and that flow of a full season and i'm sure you can speak to that a little bit but when you're getting in and out of the car. I mean, we'll already have this month off as it is um, in uh, between mid-July and, and early August between um, hopefully Toronto and then Nashville. Um, I just, I almost wonder a little bit, you know, maybe with Grosjean starting to get into that groove once we get to the middle of May with the GMR Grand Prix at IMS on the road course, how, how much... Um, added benefit he would have gotten from being in the car those next two weeks sure. um you, you have that week off and then detroit i just wonder if if that may hurt him in some way he's a great veteran he's i'm sure he'll figure it out just fine if i had to pick someone maybe i'd go scott um but i think i do think it will be really close and it'll be something really exciting to watch and i i know i will probably be keeping tabs on on stories, you know, maybe put this at the end of stories for folks to follow along on what the Road and Street rookie sure. uh, title is I think as we go idea. into the season because I think it'll be really cool. I think they're super fair points. Um, I think from my own experience, missing weekends when other people in the car, you know, just fine tuning little bits they wanted to work on, it's hard to combat that. You know, it is very hard to combat that. And, you know, just as you start getting a flow of the season, there's a, there's a break. Um, I think that they're, they're extremely talented. I, I, I th- you could you could probably stack it up and go pros and cons for each driver in each category, and they probably even balance out even in in that. So I, I would even be excited to see see that story develop. Uh, so if you could if you could do that, that would be great. I will do that. Um, those three drivers, of course, made up just a, a small portion of the shakeup that we saw across the paddock. Um, I went and looked. Um, and we're still waiting, I think, on 
who the oval only driver for Carlin outside of the 500 will be. Um, lots of folks think it might be Connor Daly, um, but it, it still may not. But if you include Carlin, um, maybe as, we should text him and ask. <laughs> that's true. If you include Carlin as quote unquote unchanged um, this off season because we don't know who that oval driver is yet, that would make seven out of the 10 teams in the paddock, including Meyer Shank racing has gone through some sort of a change, whether it's yeah. adding a driver, you know, uh, adding an entire car to the, the team, sure. either partial or full. Um, I know one thing when I came into this beat, uh, and just right after that 2019 season ended, I know a lot of po- folks talked about how they felt like it wasn't going to be a super busy off season. It just always seems <laughs> like it gets to be crazier yeah. than a lot of people anticipate how, how much, how, I guess, um, how would you compare the, the driver shakeup that went on these last couple months in the off season? How did it compare to maybe kind of what you would have envisioned as maybe even knowing a little bit more about where teams stood and, and who was looking to move around? I would say, I thought the, the change to me were in a lot of ways was, was expansion. You know, I think that's where a lot of the change around came from. Uh, you know, was, and I think that's really great for the series, adding cars from Maya Shank Racing. It's obviously added Elio, uh, which is really cool. Uh, you know, I love having him as a teammate with all the experience that he brings. I think at the start of the year, did I think it was going to change a lot? Honestly, because of COVID, I really didn't know what to expect come the off-season because I think a lot of deals were already in place that covered them through the year. Um, and I could see it going either way. I could see it either nothing changing and people just consolidating where they're at. Let's see what happens in 21, then make a change. Or clearly as what happened, there was a decent shake-up, whether it was adding cars, people moving around. I would say the one move that really... I didn't, I didn't know this was even happening until I read it in the media was when Alex Palou went to Chip Ganassi. Um, you know, but other than that, you always hear little, you know, little, little rumblings, you know, of, oh, maybe this guy's going to go there or he's talking to this team or whatever. But uh, Alex to uh, Ganassi really was like, oh, OK, didn't, didn't even know that was being floated around uh, which sometimes it is still really cool just to you know be as caught off guard as mm-hmm. as anybody else but um i think even i know in uh you know use uh ray hall as an example i mean they've had a, a decent change in personnel from an mm-hmm. engineering stance um so i would say right now it seems like carlin and carpenter are probably the only teams that haven't had a big shift or shake-up you know, across the whole team, I would probably have said. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, I used to race for Carlin, so I'm hopeful that they're going to have a you know a strong year and really showcase what I know they can do as a team. And uh, you know, I think Connor's hilarious. Still not sure about the mullet. <laughs> um, you know, but I think I actually would have expected that 21 was going to be the bigger merry-go-round in the you know silly season, as as they say, and. Um, very on um, Team Penske like when Will told everybody that he had a you know only a one year extension or whatever it was. I kind of missed some of that in media day, but I think as soon as everyone knows there's a seat of that position available, that's normally when you see parts of the field really you know shimmy and shake around. So I would say twenty the twenty twenty off season was probably a little more exciting 
than what people thought, especially as most people I would consider think 21 is going to be a bigger one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, uh, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when you just give like a brief glance to what following this season uh, could bring, um, I know Simon didn't want to answer the question about his contract, but I know there's been a lot of speculation. He, you know, his time might be up or at least um, be up for another negotiation. Along with Will, you have... um, Polo as a new driver at Ganassi, who I know um, is great as he looked at at times. I know Chip has never been afraid of you know bringing someone in one year and going and looking for their replacement the next year. You know maybe that's a position um, that could potentially change a little bit. You've got um, you know I think there's a lot of speculation on what Andretti Autosport is going to look like next year. When you have Ryan mentioned that he's on a, a one year deal, they have. I think four Indy Lights drivers that are coming up through the field, at least two of which I think could potentially vie for this championship. And then you wonder, you know, do they go back to five cars? Do they mm. replace someone? Um, there's, I think, I think we can look at 21 slash 22 already and already kind of speculate that there'll be a little bit more shakeup um, at some of those bigger teams beyond either scaling back with a car as Andretti did with Marco or adding a car as Penske did with, uh, with McLaughlin and Ganassi obviously did with Jimmy and, and Tony. Um, but it should be, it should make for an exciting off season, but we've also got an exciting regular season to, to get to, too. I'll just quickly rattle through, um, the teams that made some changes, AJ Foyt racing added, uh, Dalton Kelt to a full-time seat. Sebastian Bourdais gets to run a full season with them. Um, which will be exciting. We mentioned Andretti, um, Hinch getting a full-time seat there, Marco scaling back to uh, just the Indy 500. Um, one that I'll, I'll spend a, a quick second on, I don't, maybe I, I wasn't expecting it. Um, I think maybe some folks maybe had a little bit of an inkling of it, but seeing Felix Rosenquist go to Air McLaren SP to join Pato, I think is one of those, dark horse super exciting tandems to follow this Hmm. year felix got his first win last year pato was so close so many races um i think it'll be really interesting to see how those two guys can work together to potentially crack into this big three idea that we've had in in indycar for so long yeah i think actually that weekend pato was close to winning at road america and uh obviously felix got it in the end and if you're if you're McLaren right now, you're probably excited that that's your <laughs> driver lineup, right? Um, having raced with Felix probably more so than Pato throughout racing in Europe as well. I mean, he's a he's a stud driver. Um, and I think in the, in the right environment, he's going to be he's going to have a really strong season. So um, I, I think it's it's in, it's really interesting and exciting when you see two teammates go at it together in that way. Um, you know, because naturally you want to beat your teammate. It's probably the first person you want to beat. So they're going to push each other hard all year. There's no doubt, no doubt about it. I mean, I think that's why everyone at MSR is so happy with our partnership with Andretti is because we have these teammates, so we're having the same kind of effect. But I mean, the biggest, the biggest rivalry you'll ever have is your teammate every year, no matter what. And if if you can have a great season, you want to be the one who's had the better season. If you've had, if it's been a tough year, you want to have the guy who had the least tough year. You know, so all all teammate dynamics a fun to watch because when it's fresh and it's new and everyone's like yeah this is awesome you know you become like bffs you know and then suddenly throughout the year when things start to 
become pressure and stuff like that they don't they don't always change but they also don't stay the same mm-hmm. you know so that is that is going to be an exciting one to watch sure you had uh ed jones returning to indycar with uh del coin racing with vassar sullivan um along with grosjean who we've already talked about um and pietro fittipaldi taking over um some of the ovals for his car there at coin um t penske adding scott mclaughlin as we talked about and of course you guys you mentioned elio a little bit earlier um he'll be doing what I think will amount to six races that have been announced uh, in your guys' partial season entry. Take me through a little bit. I know we heard toward the end of last year, um, Liberty Media was investing some funding into your guys' team, and I'm sure that um, paved the way in a lot of ways for you guys to be able to do some of what you've done this offseason. I I know from talking to... um, Mike around when that happened uh, and then more so this off season when you guys made the announcement about Elio. Um, how much were you looking forward to over these last couple of years eventually getting to a point where you guys not only could join the series full time but be able to add and give you a teammate um, that you could work with even more so than you already work with the Andretti guys? Oh, it was it was awesome. Uh, you know, I remember when Michael told us that they were talking to Liberty Media and I thought that was really cool um, and then as that conversation developed it turned into a we'd like to expand here the reasons why we want to expand and immediately I saw all the benefits to why that was a great thing the thing I love about Michael and Jim you know in racing for them is we've always stayed true to the plans that we have tried to create um, you know we never we don't run before we can walk I think we probably hover that line sometimes Um, you know but once we made a decision we're going to try and just see it out in the in the best possible way and what was at least from my side because even on the 60 there's still you know one or two minor pieces of that puzzle that are still you know working out and I think are in place for this coming season but obviously time will time will tell was throughout all the conversations about how do we expand it was it was it was never expense of something it wasn't we can expand but now we're taking four of your crew and putting them over here you know it was always just an expansion of purely you know adding to our existing programs and what I love about both of those guys was they were so clear about that from day one that you know naturally when the team were like, oh, you know, we're going to expand, selfishly, I was like, oh, how does that affect me? Mm-hmm. And suddenly you had these guys who don't necessarily need to tell you that, that info, you know, because they're the team owners, but it was nice that they shared it. And that just really sums up the relationship that I have with, uh, you know, Michael and Jim, but also everybody at MSR. And as soon as they were talking about it's going to be, a, you know, another partial season, as soon as I heard the people that were being, like, rumoured to be doing it, I called Michael... I just said, look, if 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 you if you want my opinion, I'll give it to you, uh, and if you don't want it, I'm still going to give it to you now. <laughs> um, you know, because I, I saw it as the opportunity to help the team grow and learn, which I thought was a a real specific driver, and it, and it was Elio. You know, as soon as I found out that he was either in the frame or talking to the team about it, I I pushed really hard, you know, to try and have him as a as a teammate, just because. The pedigree that he has, the experience he's had, and more than that, is Elio is a winner. You know, he's won the Indy 500. He's achieved what we're now trying to achieve, and really hope that he can contribute to the team on a in a way that 
you know, I feel like we have really good speed and I'm confident in what I can do in a, in a race car. But the experience he's has is outside of even just um, driving a race car quickly. You know, he's been through so many of these things already. I mean, actually, I think the first time he won the 500, I hadn't even started racing yet. <laughs> um, you know, and everything that we've done even up to this point has been great. He's, he's been real open. Uh, you know, when I was talking about Jimmy, I was also thinking about Elio in terms of his passion, you know, for racing and anybody who saw any of his, you know, media content day. I mean, you could, it's, it's, uh, I was told not to use the word contagious because that's not good right now, but you know, it's, um, he, he exudes it, you know, like he really is passionate to be here. And I think that's what's so cool having a, a teammate who, you can tell really is appreciating the opportunity and wants to make the most of it but he's also a three-time Indy 500 winner mm -hmm. you know that's a guy who could be like yeah I'm done with racing now I've, you know I've, I won a championship in IMSA last year which is probably the only thing he had left to tick off but now you know being able to pick his brain a little bit and you know try and chit chat with him just about how things are gonna you know hopefully go and you know what the long term could look like is an opportunity that not everybody gets to do maybe for some teams like Team Penske or you know Chip Ganassi Andretti Autosport or whatever, you know, they do get the opportunity to do that. But like, you know, for my shank racing, it's rare that that happens. And I was really, really uh, excited about that. So I think throughout the off season, it's been fun. You know, we've got a new, uh, we've got a new shop now that's being built, you know, in Columbus, uh, you know, expansion of a race car to, uh, you know, new investors and new ownerships with Liberty Media. I mean, it's, uh, it's incredible time to be alive and be part of my shank racing. You mentioned um, a little bit already, but I wanted to touch on it a little bit more. Um, was there any part of you that wondered, just given all of the complications that we saw with 2020 and uh, the pandemic and everything, was there any part of you that wondered, um, not necessarily doubting the decision or doubting the group that you guys already had in place, but wondering if this group was ready to take this next step not i mean elio is certainly a great driver to add into that mix but just the idea in general of adding another driver to what you guys were already you know building and, sure. and progressing toward until i spoke to michael it, it it did worry me honestly uh because again you know selfishly there was things that we didn't do last year because of financial reasons um you know so suddenly when you hear there's going to be another car you're like scratching your head for a moment and going mm -hmm. uh, wait what you know because the thing i love about our story i guess is it's been a it's been a nice progression from doing one indy 500 together to finally getting back to full time and you know the level of loyalty that we have shown each other is is high and one of the things i always say that my my best part of my relationship with michael is our honesty and our transparency and i had heard that they were talking about expanding you know but we hadn't really chatted about it yet and i wasn't i wasn't getting fiery about it or anything like that because i knew we were going to talk about it and you know have one of our normal conversations i was in my head i was like right i'm going to make this point clear i'm going to do this and you know just going to let them know and uh, you know before i even needed to they had called me and were like okay just just before you think all these things here's how it's going to play out and um i i went from being a little bit well i went from being concerned about how it was going to play out to not concerned in a, a 20 minute phone call and that's that's why you know i hope throughout you know this coming season you know we have some really great success together you know i hope our story can continue together and 
I think all all drivers or all competitors, you know, initially think, how does that affect me? You know, and you're not trying to be selfish. It's just, you know, I've worked a long time, you know, and a lot of hours and sacrificed a lot to get here to obviously make sure that we stay on a on a good path. And you know, I believe that that path looks pretty good with my shank racing. So um, they're just as team owners go, you can't you can't pick two guys better than Michael and Jim. We talked a little bit about Elio. Um, outside of just uh, what you mentioned, the the information that you can get from having another teammate, what do you envision with Elio and his wide range of experience over the last two decades? What have you already <laughs> experienced that he can bring you, and what do you anticipate the the help of having him as a teammate as we get into I know he'll be there for the 500 and the lead up and then he'll I think most of his races are pretty much concentrated in the back half of the season so when you guys already know a lot about kind of where you stand this year what do you feel like the addition of him um being there for the the closing stretch will be I think the 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 goal and the hope was to expand just to contribute whether it's contributing to you know setup um, you know, operationally, how the team works and how it runs. Um, I chatted to Elio kind of early, and you know, kind of said to him, "I'd love for you to kind of try and mentor me some as well." You know, and especially on the ovals because I think last year we actually we take sex out of this equation because that was a difficult weekend. But you know, everywhere we went to after that, I mean, we had really great run on some of the ovals, which, uh, you know, perhaps even caught me a little bit by, by surprise. And um, I think just, I, I see Elio as a guy who is, who helps your foundation level in the team just become a little bit more clear, you know, a little bit more stable, a little bit more consistent because, you know, not only has he got a wealth of experience, he's also done it with incredibly great teams, you know, who have a, a very clear way of operating. Um, who have had incredible success. So I guess we're all hoping that Elio brings that success with him because no doubt he was a big part of it because we just want to elevate Maya Shank Racing, you know, and I want to elevate myself as a driver. So I guess we're just trying to, I want to be a sponge, you know, I just want to try and absorb as much of this info that he has, whether it's, you know, here's how to be win in any scenario, like, oh, I was really great with you know, my sponsors in this way. And, you know, if I was having a bad day, this is what I focused on. If I was having a great day, this is what I focused on. Oh, by the way, this is what the car, you know, of, uh, you know, across like an oval, for example, like here's how the car evolves during a race run. Here's where he needs to be in qualifying. I think we are extremely excited that he's going to be our teammate in, in May because we all know how well he goes around the, uh, you know, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So, I mean, bringing Elio to the team, it's like saying, what doesn't he, what doesn't he bring? You know, and that was what I kind of said to, to Michael at the end when we were having this uh, the conversation was, you know, when you look at it, you, you, what negatives does he bring? Because he just won a championship on predominantly road and street courses, so he's clearly going to be good in that department too. And I think there's going to be, you know, some things that maybe take a second for him to get back used to in, in IndyCar racing on, on those circuits. But, um, I mean, when you're as good as he is, you know, racing's like riding a bike. You know, he's going to be quick, he's going to be great. And the thing the thing I like about him was before I met him, not in a mean way, I just had a lot of ton of interaction with him. You know, and you and maybe this is the British part of me coming out a bit more, but, you know, his, his enthusiasm on camera and, you know, how he is and things like that, the British part of me goes, oh, okay, we'll wait to see what happens like when there isn't any cameras there. And he's the same way. You know, he's just a really happy person, you know, who's just, who loves life. He loves the opportunities that he's been given. He's worked really hard for them. Um, 
you know, he has a, a personality that of a guy you want to be around. I mean, I probably have never texted a teammate so much already <laughs> than, you know, than I do with Elio. And what was funny at Laguna, uh, you know, was watching him before getting in the car. And I mean, he was like a kid in a candy shop, you know, he was great. And suddenly when you're around him, you feel your mood, you know, was elevated some too. And it was, it was just a fun, it was a fun test. You know, we've had dinner a couple of times now. Um, and what's really nice is you can talk about race and how the day is, what we're trying to achieve, but then you can also have conversation with him about something completely different. And, uh, you know, just some of the little things he, he had mentioned uh, made me laugh because it's just that cliche. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter what stage you get to, you know, we all deal with the same things over time. And um, I, just, I just thought he was a, a really, really great addition to our team. Do you have a sense from talking to him? Because I know we're all a little curious um you know as he moved on from his time at team penske we there was kind of the sense that he probably wouldn't you know hang hang the helmet up at that point but we Mm. also um until things but maybe got a little bit closer didn't quite know where he would land or or what was out there for his next chapter in indy car racing do you have a sense of what drove him to after you have a you know nearly two decade tech two decade relationship with a team like team penske what drove him to continue wanting to race you know when you have a, a a family like he has and you've achieved everything he has in his career i think his passion for driving i think he just i think he loves it you know and i, and I really do and again i hope when i'm not entirely sure how old elio is is he 44 45 right around there 45 sounds about right i know i think tony Kanana's maybe 40 i want to say 46 i'm hoping i'm I'm not aging tony um but i I think he's right around that that same area (laughs) um their passion for driving you know like they clearly still love what they do and i mean you know what he loves about it i guess you would have to ask him you know but they're still trying to improve you know the, the being busy i mean you know people forget that you know his his indycar career might have been that long but i mean what did he do before that because he probably did you know junior formulas he probably did you know some go-karting in some way so at that stage of your life he's probably spent three quarters of his life at a racetrack you know like where people get to a weekend and they're like oh you know we're going to do this and it'd be kind of casual and boring people have to remember that you know for people who don't have that that's great for a couple of weekends in the off season. And then suddenly it's like, oh my God, I need to go back and I need to work on this. So I've got <laughs> to do that. And you know, I think all athletes have that attitude to a degree where the off season is a time to grow, you know, in the season is a time to grow, but the off season is where you dedicate that time. And, you know, suddenly if you're not competing, doing something, I would be worried at, well, what, what is the next step for me look like? And, I think for for Elio, his passion for racing is still so high because he believes he can still achieve something that is worth having. I would, I imagine, you know, and at least the minimum that I've seen of him, his his enthusiasm and his, his love of driving is keeping him going. Um, after that, you would have to ask these guys, <laughs> you know, what it is. But uh, I, I hope if if I had at forty five and three Indy 500 rings and a championship to my name. I hope I have half as much enthusiasm to carry on as what 
the guys I'm surrounded by now because what's I thought was cool about Tony and Jimmy's partnership is it's the same kind of deal again you know like I, I never thought for one minute last year was Tony's last year by the way um, not on a Covid style year and you know things like that and uh, I wasn't surprised to see him you know carry on and I will just a side note on Tony uh, last year at Texas when I was struggling I was having a rough weekend he was the only driver who texted me and was like dude it's it's hard don't get down you know just like try and come back practice here again etc and uh, you know these are guys and Tony more so than anyone races you incredibly hard but away from that you know throughout quarantine you know I did some bike rides with him he helped me out a ton and especially on that first weekend he he showed me a level of um, not even respect like kindness that I wasn't expecting from somebody who I didn't know that well and um, that'll that'll be with me for a, a long time and it's one of them things I hope when the time comes in the future I'd like to pass it on so I was I was really happy that it wasn't Tony's final race and to tie that all together I hope I have even half of that passion and enthusiasm you know when I'm in the middle of my 40s um well uh one one quick thing i wanted to touch on before we get into some questions from folks mm. um you mentioned last year that you didn't really go into the season being at your first first full-time campaign and the team's first full-time campaign with any you know specific you know stated written down goals um mm. or expectations sure. now uh i'm sure we can touch on these more once we get looking a little bit more toward the season specifically, but what would you say your goal is? What do you want to get out of this um, second full season in IndyCar? I would, I'd like to see us kind of irrelevant of look or whatever, actually get the results that we were so close to last year, which if we do that is going to place us well inside the top 10 in points. Uh, I think that's a, a realistic target for us to try and achieve. You know, I think last year we showed our qualifying pace is great. Um, you know, and honestly, that could have been, you know, quite a bit better with, you know, better qualifying in Texas, Indy, you know, mid-Ohio in one race. You know, so I felt like there was potential to improve there. Um, I just want us to execute well. You know, I want us to keep working on all the bad areas because I think they're realistic to be able to improve on. And ultimately, like I said to the guys, it's a results-driven sport. You know, I want us to get the end result that we've been so close to and... I just want to finish the end of this year and go, we did it. You know, I don't want to be the little team that could. I want to just be the team that did. You know, I'm not bothered about being the biggest team that did. I just want us to be the team and driver of everybody at Myershank Racing on the number 60, Autonation, Sirius XM, Honda. At the end of the year, people just looked at it and went, they did it, you know. And we can talk about, you know, how many top fives we hope to get. I would love to see us, you know, put a W on our on our record I think winning a race would be would be epic uh, and clearly if we could choose one it would be the Indy 500 um, <laughs> you know but I, I think a good goal for us to shoot for is you know top 10 in the championship because you know to me that that's a, an evolution and progress on where we were last year um, and I think last year you know we'd probably be in it into the ground at this point but you know I think we did have a really fast car we had a really strong package and um you know, a couple of weekends, if the weekend had gone differently, we we're already in the top five. You know, we would have had, you know, probably, a, I would say conservatively, at least another like four top tens. You know, and I think you could look back at the year and, you know, Road America running fifth, Indy, we were third when the first, uh, you know, yellow came out. Uh, we had a 
a shocker at Gateway with uh, a yellow flag when we were running sixth, I think, at the time. You know, and suddenly, if I, if we looked back at last season in 14 races, you had 10 top tens. I mean, that's a pretty, it's a pretty strong year as your first full-time effort. And the thing I'd just like to really see us do this year is take out the nearlys, we coulda, shoulda, wouldas, you know, like, nearly never was still, you know? Um, all right, well, let's get into some questions. We had some really great submissions even for our first uh, podcast together, which is really awesome. Um, we'll just say this quickly before we get into it. Um, if you would like to submit us a question, you can email me at nlbrown at gannett.com. Um, you can also reach out to Jack and I on Twitter. Um, we'll be reaching out to folks uh, as much as possible, um, sending out messages to ask for questions from you guys. So if you see those, um, once we get into the you know the heat of the season, we'll have... Uh, a podcast uh, that either recaps a race or previews a race or a lot of times with this um, how quickly the season gets going both when we're in in April and May so um, we'll always save this last segment of the podcast for questions so if you guys have something either for me or more than likely for Jack about something off track on track um, we would love to get those from you guys we always love that interaction um, I have the list here so I will start um, one thing I didn't know about you maybe quite as much um, coming into the series and even getting into this um, you know, partnership together on the podcast is how much you like to bake. Um, <laughs> that was a popular question that lots of people mentioned yeah. Um, yeah. that I didn't know. Tell me, before we get into some of these questions, tell me a little bit about your, your background and your affinity for baking. <laughs> it was... Uh, it was at, it, hmm. It all started in 2019 and it sucks when you're not at the track because it gives you a lot of time. And that's my girlfriend now, she'll tell you, I'm, I'm not good when I have a lot of time <laughs> on my hands. I, I become a nuisance to everybody. Even my mum and dad will tell you that I'll, I'll call you or text you just rubbish, you know, all day. And uh, I was trying to obviously just complete Netflix and the Great British Baking Show came on and uh, I was like, oh, I'll give it a, I give it a watch because you know it's pretty popular in the UK, and I'd seen an episode or two, so I just went back to like season one and just let the let it play, <clears throat> mostly just as background noise, and it got to like the third episode, and I was like, on my couch, you know, like, you know, <laughs> super involved, really present, and then you know I'm I'm there criticizing them like, oh, you know, I don't think I think they baked it, you know, too uh, too quick, and they needed a lower temp longer bake time or just all this stuff that I knew nothing about uh, the epitome of like an, uh, a sofa coach and then I got myself a KitchenAid because I thought that maybe if I was going to do that I should probably try and uh, you know back it up and then yeah slowly slowly from now I've just been I just like it mate it's just a it's just fun you know it's a good hobby um, anyone in my family bake not really my sister bakes like some really amazing like British cookies. Uh, I don't remember my mum baking a ton, but my my great uh, my great auntie, phenomenal baker. She just eyeballs it. Like I need my scales. Like <laughs> she just eyeballs that. And <clears throat> actually, when I went back to the UK at Christmas, um, I made uh, I made a carrot cake, which she said was good. Which for me, her saying it was good was, <clears throat> you know, would be like Elio saying my qualifying lap was mega. <laughs> you know, so. Um, yeah, baking just turned into a bit of fun. It was just something to do. The only problem was, as, as we got into quarantine, I kept baking. I didn't have anyone to share it with. Exactly. So then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I need to stop baking a bit. But I, I baked some, you know, 
what I would class as like fun things now. I've got a few like staples that I go to for, you know, parties or, you know, gatherings and stuff. But um, I'm, I do better when people ask me to do stuff. Like mm. I'm more of like a bake on request or demand kind of person. If I'm just left to like my own devices, I'm going to make like the same four things. Fair enough. Well, we got first question from uh, Tony Donahue. He asks, uh, <laughs> what's your specialty go-to cake to bake? Uh, specialty go-to cake. I made this um, burnt sugar brown uh, buttercream cake, like caramel cake, and that was just mega. Like that was, I was even I was like, oh, that was that was good. I I would be mortified to tell you what the calorie intake on that <laughs> cake alone is. So therefore, I won't. Um, but I would say, yeah, that that burnt sugar, you know brown caramel buttercream, buttercream frosting cake was that was top notch sounds pretty incredible uh someone else um let's see here who was it uh someone uh, at microsoft paint on twitter uh asked jack with you and your <laughs> you and romaine's apparent culinary skills any chance for some kind of uh paddock cook-off at some point this season it just sounded like a decent dinner to me because i don't i haven't actually seen what romaine bakes or makes and i would i would very much distinguish the difference between like cooking and baking Mm -hmm. even on my youtube uh, playlist i have like very distinguished like that's baking that's cooking i can't cook like at all like people have flair for the cooking just like you know sniff a a spice and like throw it in i'm envious of that i can't do it so hopefully he's a cooker because then between us we could maybe create like a nice meal for everybody because I, I i'm confident on i'm confident on dessert but you're probably not going to want to eat my steak <laughs> that's fair enough yeah we could get a maybe in may when we got some time everyone's around that'd be a be a cool i know like the masters does like the you know the the champion creates the menu for next year be cool that's to, pretty cool yeah you guys maybe uh create a menu for something that would be that'd I'm, be pretty neat when it comes to desserts though this is maybe again it's just a me thing like less is more mm-hmm. like when it comes to that i want it to be like not not boring but like i'm not gonna hit you with like 10 different flavors and expect you to you know pick out every tiny last bit you know mine are gonna be not even simple but then they're they're hopefully they're tasty i want it to be the best cake you've had like for me for example ice cream i love vanilla ice cream with like chocolate sauce on the top and that's i'm happy where people like oh well you know we have this uh really cool on like this grand central station from you know handles and i'm like just give me the chocolate chip and i'm good (laughs) i'm a a chocolate chip cookie dough i could also do a vanilla with some some uh you know chocolate syrup i'm not i don't get too complicated no you get there either the only other thing as well i was i was disappointed not to see any like bigger star wars questions Mm. come in i know i feel like i was on my own little like island over there how much uh, with all of this time that we had in the off season? How are you a a guy that likes to like rewatch a bunch of movies and yeah. stuff? So like I imagine Star Wars would probably at the top yeah. of your playlist. Yeah, did all of them? Did all like like all nine movies plus Solo plus Rogue One, which perhaps is probably my favorite one. Uh, did all the you know animated shows? I've done Harry Potter. I've read backstory stuff. I mean, there's. I my I've watched YouTube theorizers, you know, uh, YouTubers and whatnot, and that's uh, I really like that. Like when you're driving like a long way, I just like hit one of my like favorite YouTubers, and I just listen to like the theories that they come up with, and I spend time thinking about it, and then I will like call my girlfriend, and she'll be like, I don't like Star Wars, and I I just cry, you know, <laughs> on the car after that. But we did Harry Potter too, um, 
But I love watching movies again. Like I, I feel like you don't catch everything first time mm-hmm. round. That's fair. Have you, with either Star Wars or Harry Potter, have you tried to like sit on the couch one day and like watch everything all the way straight through? Uh, no. Because I do Avengers 2 and like all the mm. Marvel stuff. And actually, Marvel's probably the closest I came to just like letting them just like play out. I would say at Christmas time, you know, my mum and sister. Um, when we're all together we normally do like a little bit of like a harry potter thumb mm-hmm. uh we probably have done like three max you know and after that you know it's hard to stay sat still for so long or you know, even eventually you feel like you should be doing something with your day um probably three is the most i could do in one sitting last uh last baking question we got um asks uh is there, has there been any progress on trying to get you on the Great British Breaking Show? <laughs> um, so person said, uh, we really need him on it. I know it's been uh, talked about in the past. I don't know if they do any sort of like a, they you do know, a, a celebrity. celebrity. Or do they? They do. Okay. They do. Um, there has been no personal progress from me. Uh, so that's I get. I get like, immediately I feel nervous about that. Like, People are actually going to see me, like, do it. And I don't really know if I do any, like, weird stuff or goofy stuff. And if I was going to be on the on the Great British Bake Off, I would, I would go and just make, like, lots of different things so I had, like, a general idea of, like, what's going to come. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem with, like, baking is I'm not good at decorating. Okay. I'm not artistic that way. I mean, I can get you a, a cake that looks smooth and is, like, saying, okay, here you go. Would you decorate it for me? You know, so I'm not good at that. I mean... I feel like that's going to be one that the team or the series need to like organize and then go, Oh, Jack, by the way, you're doing it. And I'm going to go, Oh, that's really cool. And then I'll be nervous for a bit, but I haven't, I haven't reached out. Fair enough. But I'm also leaving that as like a dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Maybe someone should, maybe do someone it. should do if it. Someone, if, uh, if someone at IndyCar is listening, maybe, I mean, we've, we've, it's, it wouldn't be the first time we've had, James and Elio on Dancing with the Stars. We've had uh, Alex and Connor on The Amazing Race, so it wouldn't be you know the the wildest thing to have uh, another person. And it's I mean it's been a, a decent amount of time since all of those other shows have happened. So maybe it's time for uh, IndyCar's next reality TV star. Uh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. Um, question from Dan Gallagher asks, what's your best uh, LEO story since becoming teammates? Best LEO story since becoming teammates? Um, I just I just love hearing his stories, honestly. He, uh, we went to, for anyone who lives in Indy, we went to Binkley's uh, in Broadripple with uh, Jim Meyer and uh, Adam Rovazzini, who's our team manager, sporting director i guess it's probably a good way to describe his his role um he just had us in stitches you know just about some of the things he's been through from you know racing or just like his life and things like that because he certainly hasn't led a boring one you know motorsport aside and um he just he he could just it takes something like ice and makes it like funny and he's like i've got this amazing story and i'm like i'm just sat there like oh tell me um nothing that super like stands out yet because i mean we've only been at the track together once and i've only been around him maybe a handful of times but uh 
He's got a great storyteller. Like, great storyteller. Like, I hope that rubs off on me <laughs> throughout the year. But, we'll, I mean, we'll wait and see. A uh, question here from Katie Lewis um, about Grosjean. She asks, mm. um, with Romain Grosjean joining the series this year from F1, how difficult do you feel like it will be for him to adapt to uh, racing in IndyCar? And do you have any advice that you would give someone like him? Uh, probably going to save that piece of advice to myself. <laughs> uh, I mean, someone like that, he's so fast that, you know, he's not going to need any extra advice, really. I mean, I would say, you know, he's a fantastic race car driver. He's incredibly quick. Um, although Formula One circuits aren't as similar to a lot of American tracks, you know, maybe take Cota as a good example. But, you know, if you compare Cota to like Indy Road Course or Mid-Ohio, Detroit as an example, I mean, they're vastly different. I think tracks out here, are, you know, sometimes high risk, high reward. You know, they're bumpy, they're, they can be narrow, they, you know, they're pretty short lap. So I would say my best piece of advice, and actually I did say this to him when we were in Laguna, like, it's physical. You know, these races are long, the tracks are bumpy, the corners are, you know, pretty hard. Um, and we don't have any power steering. So physically, I just try to say like, hey, by the way, this is this is a lot harder than what you're going to be or what you've been used to. Maybe not so much on the next. I think Formula One and power-wise is, you know, maybe a little bit harder, but um, the rest of your physical body is going to be uh, is going to be hurting. Uh, I think he's going to be fine, you know, because throughout junior formulas, throughout the UK, racing in Europe, those tracks are more similar to most tracks, you know, in North America. And, I mean, he's a, he's a driver. He's a racer. He's going to be, he's going to be just fine. I, I've got no worries or doubts at how uh, how competitive he's going to be question from indie fanatics asks uh now that you've been through testing i know it's hard to accurately judge but what do you think is looking stronger your guys's road or street course setup uh i mean it's it's, it's hard to tell um you know we test the two tracks we've tested at so far one of them was sebring and i think most people go to sebring to try and work on their road course car sorry their street circuit car when we tested at barber at the end of last year that was obviously just a regular road course and i thought we looked good in both uh when we tested at laguna i would say that's a very low grip road course that's probably the one i think we need the most work on so uh, i think street circuit wise i mean i think we looked you know pretty good a lot of times last year, or at least when we went to St. Pete, I thought we looked good. Um, you know, I think Andretti have got a great history, you know, at Detroit, um, in Toronto and at uh, Long Beach. And I think we showed last year as well that our, our road course car is, is pretty decent. So I would say just from a driving stance, you know, more of my bread and butter is still on road courses. That's what I grew up doing, um, you know, but certainly I've had success at, at, at street circuits. So... I think the biggest question mark again is going to be our oval performances. I think you know road and road and street circuits. I'm not as worried about in general. Um, I think our oval ones are going to still still be the one where I, where our effort was being directed. A mm -hmm. uh, question from a good lead into a question from uh, Polar Polite on Twitter asks: uh, We've seen Jack improve rapidly on oval courses. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you attribute that uh, rise in success to? I think just being being a bit more confident, you know, and people have to remember that like, before I came to America, I'd never driven an oval in my life. And even in Indy Lights, like we only race like on three. And, you know, use Jimmy as an example, who's done mostly oval racing. He's now going and racing on road courses. 
and you see how hard it is to do. And it's just when that's not when that discipline isn't what's normal for you. I would go out and I could for sure be quick on ovals, but understanding what really makes you quick, how to dial into the details, the specific items and things like that was just it. It was very hard. It was just taking me a little bit longer, you know. So having the experience now to go on more ovals naturally just makes me feel more comfortable more confident because i'm getting to do it more often uh i would say the tracks that the two tracks that really when we got there and we unloaded and were quick straight away and i was happy really happy about was iowa because i think it's a it's a very short little oval and it's bumpy it's you know it's pretty low grip it's super low downforce uh you know but to finish seventh both races i thought was was mega and base and qualified uh sixth and seventh i believe on the days and i was like wow that was that was a good qualifying session and it was just being able to trust the car that the car is going to be there when i need it to be and you know put myself in a position to be uncomfortable and then honestly gateway was the next one you know i think we qualified fifth at gateway which i was like oh wow that was that was mega you know like i finished the the run and was like okay i was pretty happy with that and then actually seeing how good it it was was um definitely you know in my own head it was a great time to have those extra performances on ovals because it was probably the only thing that I still hadn't had the opportunity to really showcase that I could do this. I know we won the Freedom, um, you know, and I felt like I've always gone well at Indy on the whole, but the other ovals are so different than, you know, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that it was nice to be able to show everybody that actually, like, we can race and compete on all the tracks that are available in, in North America. But I, I contribute a lot of it to just um, just feeling a bit more confident. I did. I really enjoyed working and racing with Andrea Autosport in our technical partnership on those particular weekends um, and just being able to learn from, you know, Rossi, Herter, Hunter Ray, you know, uh, Marco last year and obviously I've, I've worked with James a bunch of times from when we were at uh, SPM together and um, on those particular weekends having good teammates was a was a big help. Um, kind of leading in off of that, Brett, box 99 asks uh what is your favorite indycar track i did really enjoy gateway actually uh it was a pretty road course styled oval Mm -hmm. i would say um mid ohio feels like a special place to me you know it's where i got my first win in in uh in north america it's also shank's home race and everyone at my shank racing's home race I've always gone well at Indy Road Course. I love the Oval, uh, IMS, Road America is mega. Um, I thought I was going to boil it down to one more after that. Uh, I'm not sure. I, there's a few tracks here that I would I would love to see come back on the schedule. I'd love to see Watkins Glen, you know, come back. Um, I thought it was cool they brought Laguna back on the schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless I'm missing any big ones, I, I think I think the IndyCar schedule on the whole is filled with a lot of really great tracks. Um, but probably one of those ones I mentioned at the start was would be my favorite. Yeah, I think it. I mean, it's it's really interesting. There's so many. I mean, you mentioned Watkins Glen, for example. There's so many um, other really good, you know, either road or or street setups that IndyCar has been on in the past. Um, you add in Coto where we're not sure. racing at anymore Watkins Glen um you know a handful of other great places and then all the ovals that IndyCar 
is uh, you know either not at currently or hasn't been to for a little while. I know Iowa's not on the schedule anymore. There's a, a handful of great ones in the Midwest between Kansas and Kentucky and sure. uh, Michigan, for example. It, it would there's just it's really incredible when you think about you know like all of these tracks that people want IndyCar to go to. If if we, they went to every one and have like a 30 race schedule, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, it'd be crazy. I mean, it would be that'd be a bit much for probably the mechanics on the team, but. Um, I mean, if they wanted to open up the series, you know, to another six races a year, I mean, you would fill those spots in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. you know, and if you left it open to fans and just said, you just choose and we'll make it happen, I mean, the schedule would be insanely good. It would be. Um, one more IndyCar on-track-centric question here from Caleb uh, Benchy, who asks, well, IndyCar is always close. Do you expect some more teams to be more competitive this year after everyone's had a little bit more time to figure out the air screen? Um, I mean, maybe. Uh, I think a lot of the teams who were competitive last year are going to be competitive again. And I think teams that felt like they needed to improve performance have had an off-season to try and figure it out. Um, I don't see that as any different than any other year, really. I think that's. I think you touched on it earlier on, but that's the glory in a lot of ways of having like a, a basically a spec car. You know that everybody can get the car, try and work on it. Obviously dampers are still a you know a bit of a question mark in terms of development you know and like the resources you can throw at it but after that you know indycar paddock's quite small and every year when you see like a a change not of drivers but of personnel engineers you know they're no doubt they're moving with info that they've you know established and created um I think that's what makes IndyCar racing so fun, as we both have mentioned so many times, that it's it's so competitive that if it's your weekend, you really can go with your car set up the way you know you set it up and be quick, challenge to win, you know, and things like that. So I think the IndyCar field is already really competitive, and the way that I think the direction of the series is going. every weekend you're going to have people who think they've nailed it and people who are like okay when we come back to this track we need to work at it certainly we felt like there was tracks we needed to improve at last year and I would say apart from Joseph you know probably Team Penske didn't think 500 was their best race which also is the most important one so you know perhaps in that moment I expect them to be a little bit quicker uh, in Indy but um, it's just it's the normal ebb and flow I think on that one mate Mm -hmm. Um, question here from Patrick Steffen asks uh, Jack, do you still have a Mountain Dew addiction? I'm not sure I ever had one. Like, I, actually, I saw that one on <laughs> on uh, on Twitter yesterday, and I'm not sure if I ever like. I don't remember having a Mountain Dew addiction. Um, I probably came to America and thought, "Wow, this is different than anything I've ever <laughs> had in the UK." Maybe I should have a go on it. Um, I would, Coke Zero is my soda of choice. So I don't know where that came from. It's interesting. I don't. I don't even know if he was asking it of me. I. I mean, I'd, I'll drink Mountain Dew when it's available. Um, I've actually probably the diet, one time I do diet drink regular it, or diet diet Mountain Dew typically. Um, oddly enough, uh, I think there's there's like a small taste difference. I think for me, and it was like super readily available whenever we're at IMS working in the media center. And I'll probably go like the other 11 months of the year and never drink Mountain Dew. And then when we're in the media center, I'll like 
you know, when we're working long days there. Stocks on it? Yeah. I <laughs> uh, kind of alternate between that and coffee, depending on what I'm feeling. So That seems like a lot of caffeine. <laughs> it is. It's, you probably I, need it, though. <laughs> I've been trying to to kind of wean that down a little bit, uh, but I know once the season gets going and we have, have some long days, I'm sure that'll probably just kind of have to ramp back up. But. See, I would say we're not, you know, me, me and my girlfriend, we're not, I would say, we're not bougie. Mm-hmm. The only slightly bougie thing we do is we get coffee ground from Patachu. Okay. And that's really good. Their banana nuts really good. Their coconut cream. So if you like coffee, I'd recommend I do going have to a, your local one. And I do have a French press at home. I uh, like to make coffee. I would have guessed that you had a French press. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice way because when you have a coffee machine that like, almost i feel like with those ones that make like you know 10 or 12 cups you almost have to make like six or seven to have it taste the right way that's so true i'm very rarely uh i know lots of journalists that uh would disagree with me on this but very rarely am i going to sit down and drink like five or six cups of coffee at one sitting i'd be buzzed the whole rest of the day but i i completely agree with you and when if she's traveling for work or i'm not there we do like four cups okay because you can't really brew just a cup exactly or two in a coffee machine full of grounds mm-hmm. like you need a lot the my my problem with the french press it takes forever yeah uh, so that is a lesser level of dedication yeah. for coffee that like i want it and i want it now well, that, before we first started dating i would do instant coffee with which she was like you can't okay. do instant coffee mm-hmm. apparently that was a big like <laughs> faux pas um, it does the trick. I mean, a French gets the job done. Yeah, when you're, yeah, the whole thing with a with a French press is like, yeah, you wake up and you're like, I want a cup of coffee right now, but I've got to to have it taste the way I want it. You know, I've got to wait around for, you know, ten or fifteen minutes to have it get ready. And it's are a you just like black coffee drinker for the most part? Um, I'll mm. take a little bit of cream and sugar in it occasionally, but for the most part, I, I keep it pretty simple. How mm. about you? I think she would tell you that I like creamer with a little bit of coffee. Okay. <laughs> no, plenty of people like that. Uh, I think with the right creamer, I, I didn't probably enjoy a little bit more in there, but some of, some of it's better than others. Um, true. our last question here from, uh, drunk at Indy, uh, asks, hello, gentlemen. Thanks for the time to answer this question. What is your favorite Keanu Reeves movie? <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for submitting a question. Favorite Keanu Reeves movie. I really like John Wick. Okay. I thought that was just like really cool. I thought he did mega. I thought he was he was in Toy Story 4, right? Yeah. That was pretty good too. The Matrix are a classic. I mean, okay, so I really like Keanu Reeves. And being a Star Wars geek, not to make it about Star Wars again, but I'm going to make it about Star Wars again. There's one character in it who I, I don't think he's officially been made canon yet. But if they do make him canon, like, if they have anyone but Keanu Reeves play it, that is just a travesty. <laughs> so I, I really like, I love John Wick. I thought the first one was the best one. I didn't think number two was that good. I thought number three was a bit better again. And he's just, oh, he's just cool. He's just a cool dude. Yeah, I if I had to pick one, I'd probably fall back on The Matrix. Only be, You mentioned it's a classic. Um, it's such a... Uh, interesting doesn't really even go into it but it's a, such a unique movie um, he's incredible in that role um, but yeah I those those John Wick especially the first one is a, is a close second I think for me yeah it's just he's just like a um, he just I've never met him and I only read things that get reported or mm-hmm. interviews that I see or whatever 
it just seems like a real down to earth as actors or actresses go seems very humble uh, he clearly is just a complete badass you know like I, I thought John Wick was just basically you know him showing us how much of a badass he is with mm -hmm. all of his stunt work and you know things like that and it was really cool um, I felt like that was like an unexpectedly good movie mm -hmm. and then because it was good we kind of had these high hopes for number two and then it was like ow okay like back to normal yeah it's part of like action movies nowadays I mean there's so I mean there's so many of like every kind of movie in general because mm. of you know Netflix and Hulu and all these streaming services but I think particularly that like classic action movie it's there's so many that are like supremely average nowadays that come out that sure. it's almost hard to find that really awesome um you know great special effects great stunts great everything movie and that was that's a really good one that stands out that's you know still stood the test of time for I, sure i feel like action movies are relying less on like plot mm -hmm. and just more of like wowing you with like stunts yeah which is cool I, I you love to see it but i think to me action movies like 007 and james bond takes like some beating because i feel like their story still takes precedent mm -hmm. sure and then from there they build in some really cool things because again i think if you want to see like just fun stuff like mission impossible always a good laugh Those you are know so good and then even now like to me like fast and furious have, has become not even like car movies they've yeah. become just like action movies uh -huh. which totally. I think the last one I saw, I don't even, don't even remember them having even like a proper sporty car, <laughs> you know. And probably I don't know. I just there's a few like really good action movies, but I agree with you that they're they're being mass done without enough storyline. Yeah, yeah. You you're really good ones like your, uh, you know, Double O Seven or Mission Impossible, especially those series. I think it's really cool when you have a not only a like good single action movie but ones that can do it again and again in a series that sure. you that are like totally rewatchable like i could go yeah. sit down and watch the uh the mission impossible movies again and again and they don't ever really get old uh, no. i think that's both because they have that great plot line that is kind of a, a good through line through everything while also having good action that kind of differentiates each each movie this is a tough one for you mm -hmm. die hard Christmas movie Ooh. or not a Christmas movie because I feel like that is such a talking point <laughs> um, I always go back and forth on this uh, I always find people's reasoning for it really interesting I think I'd probably have to say Christmas movie I don't feel great about it but I think there's probably enough there that you could uh you could certainly make a case for it. How about you? Uh, I don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Okay. I'll tell you why. Because I'll watch it in the summer and be like, mm, yes. Fair point. Yes, that's a great movie. The Grinch. I'm pretty much exclusively watching in December. Sure. You're not gonna. You're not. You're not clicking on The Grinch in July to watch that. Not unless I really have. I'm bored <laughs> of like completed Netflix. No, 
so a fair point. I don't know that the reason for it always comes out, you know, around Christmas. I mean, Harry Potter came out around Christmas. Star Wars normally comes out around mm-hmm. that time of year. We don't see them as Christmas movies. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, those. I don't know quite what the. I mean, I'm sure part of it has to do with just pe- a lot of people sitting in front of their TVs. It's interesting that you don't see more like uh, you know harry potter marathon stuff going around in like june or july but i guess mm. that's when a lot of people are outside doing stuff and so you don't have people it's a great sitting on time the couch. to play quidditch it's true it's great it's 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 quidditch season for sure but maybe yeah, we man, should set up that. a league that would be fun i had a there was a, a club in college i went to indiana university just south of here and um we actually had a quidditch club uh nice. simulated games i was not a part of it i had Aww. too much other stuff going on but um Boo. was super <laughs> duper gl- like almost glad in some way that people were that into something like that to make uh, a point to to do something like that because it's really cool i mean if that's what you're into yeah that's yeah. What I, I like it <laughs> um all right well i think that is gonna wrap it up for us on this season uh or this season's episode one of indycar weekly uh you can find us on all the major uh, podcast platforms apple spotify um you can certainly find it on our website um please like subscribe download uh leave us a review all that good stuff let us know what you'd like to hear more or less of uh as we go forward into this season we'll have a lot more episodes once we get into the heat of this year we've got what four races and three weekends for you guys and then Mm. everything that the month of may brings um jack and i will will be sitting down every chance we get to kind of break everything down for you guys i'm really excited to break down some actual um on track racing content as it comes both from jack's perspective uh and just looking at the series as a whole um Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for joining me, Jack, today. Yeah, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this and excited to keep doing it throughout the season. Be, uh, be on the lookout for another episode before we get this season going. Uh, for Jack Harvey, I'm Nathan Brown.